spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, happy championship game week to you. Welcome to Region Review. Matt Miguez here, joined as always by Jerry Abair, And plenty to dive into today. Like I said, we are about four days away from the Cajuns and the Chanticleers battling for the Sunbelt Conference Championship game in Conway, South Carolina. And, you know, right off the bat, Jerry... Obviously, this is a monumental game. I mean, the Cajuns sit at number 17 in the AP poll. Coastal Carolina currently at number 11. College football playoff poll comes out this evening. But let's start off with how important this game can be for not only the University of Louisiana, but for the Sunbelt Conference. Yeah. um, What's up, Matt? Um, who would have thought three years ago when Coastal joined the conference that they would be sitting in the AP poll at number nine, hosting a championship game, and we would be playing them ranked number 17 in the nation for a conference championship. Isn't that unbelievable? Just, I mean, just thinking about this a short time ago, I mean, I remember two years ago, Billy uh, Napier lost his first official home game to Coastal and there were a lot of fans that were in panic mode because their mindset was, oh, we just, oh, who's, who's Coastal? How, how did we lose to them? And here we are two years later um, as the number 17th team in the nation facing a top 10 team or that same team that's in the top 10 for a conference championship, man. How, how about that? Man, time, it just, you, you can't describe, words can't describe how much has changed in such a short amount of time, but I'm glad it's us and it's nobody. I'm glad it's us and nobody else. Yeah, you know the, the 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 crazy thing to me is just what a difference a year can make. Because I mean, Coastal last year finished five and seven, and one of those seven losses, we went to Conway and beat them forty eight to seven in one of our best performances of the year. What what yeah. what, what a difference a year and a new quarterback can uh can do for you. And I think what makes it even more significant is, is just how far Coastal has come in such a short amount of time. Um, you know, we all kind of raised our eyebrows about five years ago when we found out they were coming to the Sunbelt, and we were excited about them coming to the Sunbelt in regards to baseball because we knew baseball was their sort of their bread and butter. We knew basketball, you know, they made some appearances every now and then in the tournament. They had, a, you know, they have a decent basketball program, but to win a national title in baseball the day before joining the conference, uh, we were more excited to talk about them in the springtime. Uh, football was sort of irrelevant. Football, uh, they played in an 8,000-seat stadium. Uh, they were okay at the FCS level, but we didn't know what to expect from them because they really didn't have the history of a Georgia Southern or App State. And then all of a sudden they come in, and now, again, they're a top 10 team and we have to go play on the teal turf to win a conference championship. So it's amazing how far they've come as a program. 
um, since joining the conference. And I think I think the gamble of bringing them in has really paid off so far. Yeah, no, no question about it. Plenty to talk about today. Uh, we're going to be joined by Gabe McDonald. He is the sports director for, I don't want to get the station name wrong. I want to make sure that I have it 100% accurate. He is the sports director of WMBF News in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He will join us. He's actually a Louisiana native. So it'll be cool to it'll be cool to chat with him about this upcoming game. We're going to talk some Cajuns and the pros. Uh, Kevin Dotson suffered a suffered a pretty nasty injury on Saturday on Sunday. We'll talk about that. So we'll update you on what's going on on the hardwood for the Cajuns. And the the big topic I think that we're going to cover in this episode is Coastal is calling themselves the underdog. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Let's dive into a Sunbelt Rewind. First, you know, we had a couple of games on the schedule last week in the Sunbelt Conference. You know, I think Georgia Southern and App State battled. You had Troy and Coastal Carolina go at each other, which almost turned poorly. I watched, I watched the last minute when Troy scored the go-ahead touchdown, and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. We don't need this right now. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, uh, what is it, like a five- or six-play drive? Coastal just responds. And, and you know, yeah, it was I, – I, I think we all together as a fan base breathed a, breathed a sigh of relief <laughs> in that game. Yeah, you know, I was out doing Christmas shopping during the day <clears throat> Saturday, and, you know, I come back home – and I have a text on my phone saying, you're joking me. And I'm like, okay, wait, what's going on? And I was told to check ESPN. So I pull up the ESPN app on my phone, and I'm looking at scores, and then I see Troy's, I mean, Coastal's losing 38-35. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And so I quickly, you know, got to the TV, turned the game on, and right as I turned it on, I watched two, I think I, I, think I watched two plays before Coastal scored a touchdown to eventually win the football game. But, uh, yeah, no, definitely definitely had to hold our breath there for a second. And then the other yeah. the other conference game, like I said, App State and Georgia Southern, it was a hard-fought battle all the way through. App State put a couple points on the board late to end up winning 34-26 to over the Eagles. And the third game that was supposed to be played on Saturday, Arkansas State and Incarnate Word, was canceled due to COVID-19. So, you know, we get into week 16 and it's championship week and it's always it's always a fun week. Obviously, you know, we have us in Coastal Carolina. Um, one big game that everybody is going to be looking at is, of course, the American Conference Championship game between Cincinnati and Tulsa. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into this more later, but that game has huge implications on where either the Cajuns or the Chanticleers will end up. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because after our game, uh, regardless of when we win or lose, we're going to have to, well, if we're obviously if we win, I take that back. If we win, we're going to have to watch that Cincinnati Pulse game closely. Uh, I think kickoff is at seven o'clock on Correct. Saturday night. And, um, there's a lot of the SEC game. Yep. 
a lot of bowl implications riding on that game for the Cajuns. Um, a lot of implications as far as where we go uh, if we were to win on Saturday. And it's, I mean, I'm going to be pulling, I think we're all going to be cheering for Tulsa pretty hard. Um, you know, they're a 12, 13 point underdog right now, but it is a championship game. So anything can happen. And Tulsa has actually pulled a few big wins already to get them to this point. So don't count them out yet. Um, it's a long shot, but it is, but there's still a shot. Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be listening in. I'm actually going to be at a, a family Christmas party on the North shore on Saturday. And I'll be on my way home listening to that game. Um, on the way back to Lafayette, hoping that uh, the Tulsa Golden Hurricanes can pull it off and send the Cajuns to Atlanta, of course, barring the Cajuns win on, on Saturday in Conway. Yeah, obviously that is that is the result that we're looking for, a win and then a Tulsa win. Because um, like you said, that would, that would more than likely put us in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta. Um, and God, the Cajuns playing in a New Year's Six game. You ever thought we'd talk about that? Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about it. Look, I, I, I keep bringing this up because it just shows how far we've come as a program. You know, going to games as a kid, you know, I was there when we lost to North Alabama in 97. Not an FCS school, a Division II school at the time. Now, they moved up to FCS recently, but they were a Division II school. That's lower than McNeese and Nichols, okay? I remember sitting in the stadium when we got beat by two touchdowns to Jacksonville State on senior day in the year 2000 when there were maybe three or 4,000 Cajun fans there. Um, and did I mention it was raining? Yes, it was raining pretty pretty hard. And uh, I also remember the Cajuns dropping one to uh, Northwestern State that same year. And I just look back at those games and, and talk kind of what UL Monroe is going through right now with people saying that um, maybe it's time to move down to FCS or back then Division One AA because we just can't seem to support ourselves at this level, especially with this level of competition. If we're dropping games to one AA schools, we might as well just join them. Can't beat them, join them. And, um, you know, I think uh, come around to 2002, we hire Ricky Bustle. And one thing I will always give Coach Bustle credit for, um, you know, he got us to the point we didn't go to a bowl game or anything like that. But one thing he did do, uh, he and his staff, took, they, they, they took our program out of the dungeons. They took our program out of such a dark, deep hole that we thought we could never escape to the extent which allowed, for, of course, for Mark Huspin to come in, put us in a bowl game, compete for conference championships on the, on the regular. And, of course, Billy Napier has done even more than that, something you know more than we can dream of. So, it took 20 years to get here, but I'm glad we're actually here because, um, like, we had a poll um, on our Twitter feed about, you know, kind of the same thing we're talking about now. 20 years ago, did you see the Cajuns ever? When you're sitting there in an empty stadium losing to one AA schools by multiple scores, you don't really think about, regardless if it's 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, that that same team is going to be competing for a spot in the Peach Bowl. Uh, you know, really what you're thinking about is survival. Can this program survive? And to see this team or see this program come full circle since then, um, just us talking about this right now, it's, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. And I give credit to all of, all of Cajun Nation. You know, they have, we have our fan base never quits. Fan base never quits. And um, I was very pleased by 
the way that uh, our fans have stuck through even the, the darker times. And um, we can enjoy, we can enjoy this right now. We can enjoy sort of the golden era of Cajuns football. Uh, this decade has been a lot more fun than others, but to sit here as a nationally ranked team, highest ranked team in the state, which I never thought would be possible, and a chance at a New Year's Six, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm 31 years old. I can only imagine what people like my, my parents and others that have been around since the 50s and 60s are probably thinking right now. I don't know, but it's it's been an amazing ride, and I don't I don't want to get off I don't want to get off the uh, the cart. I don't want to get off the ride. I'm I'm enjoying it too much. So hopefully the, the ride will will continue for many years to come, and we can build on this. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm a, I'm a little younger than you are, but uh, yeah, it, this has been something that. Like like you said, it's been fun. Um, you know, I've been a Cajuns fan for as long as I can remember. I remember being probably eight years old and being ecstatic the night that I got to meet Jake DeLome because he was at Cajuns homecoming when he had a bye week with Carolina. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's things like that. And, you know, watching, watching Brett Bear hit that field goal in 2011 and then you know, getting getting into the first ever Sunbelt Conference Championship game and then doing it again and then doing it again. You know, it, it it's been it's been something that if you if you haven't been paying attention what well, I think, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I think what's crazy is the perception. How perception has changed with the program. You know, for a while we were perennial losers. Plain and simple, we were perennial losers, and you know the first thing that came to mind with UL football was, oh my gosh, they're terrible. Why do you pull for them, or what? What? What is it about that you know UL football that you like? Why? I mean, they lose and they they're not good and blah blah blah. And, you know, to see that perception change, um, and to see people respect us and respect what the program has done. The fact that our head football coach is in every single discussion of a job opening at a bigger school. Right. Um, that, you know, as, as hard as it is as a Cajun fan to have to see his name thrown in every other hat, it's, it's a compliment. Like I said last week, it's a compliment to what we've accomplished here. Because if you weren't winning, if you weren't that good, if you were still bad, nobody would want your head coach. Nobody would want to talk about bringing him into a bigger school. And so – it, it's just a, it's just proof that we have come a long way. Um, and like you said, those memories of, you know, Brett nailing that field goal in the New Orleans Bowl or, you know, you getting to meet Jake. I mean, I remember watching Jake as a kid. Uh, I remember high-fiving him uh, after the Texas A&M game, you know, and watching him play his senior season. That was really one of my first years as a diehard Cajun, diehard Cajuns fan when Jake was, was a quarterback here. And so I remember those days. And I remember – you know, um, and it's great because I, I've made, I've, we've created friendships with players. You know, uh, many people wore that uniform. Um, you know, I got to, had the privilege of sitting next to Ladarius Green in class and we graduated together. And uh, we talk about the memories of that, that he had here and what he did. And you know, we talk about, um, you know, we see former players and hearing stories from like guys like Gerald Broussard or, you know, Chris Lano or, you know, our, our good friend Lou Bear and what they experienced while they were here. And just, I think everybody's enjoying what we've been able to accomplish. But again, I don't think this should be the end game. I think we, 
we, we, we're growing from this. We're going to grow from this. We're going to maintain this success. And I think, I think brighter days are ahead. Um, I think brighter days are ahead. So again, Cajun Nation, enjoy the ride. It's, it's a lot of fun right now. I'll say that. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely been a lot of fun, but you know, one, one thing I kind of want to talk about now is like, like we mentioned off the top coastal calling themselves the underdog. Okay, yeah. So, you know, here's, there, there's a, there's a quote that I have from head coach Jamie Chadwell. And if my computer would cooperate, here we go. It says, even though Coastal is ranked higher at home and one head-to-head, the team's head coach, Jamie Chadwell, is calling Louisiana the favorite. Louisiana had a chance to rest and get everybody back, he said. If you've got a team that's full go and you've got a team that's not, no matter what happened previously, I would think they would be the team that has the chance to be the most fresh and ready to go. That's the way I view it, and our team feels like the underdog coming into this. Okay, so... I, I will I will give Coach Chadwell this. He makes some valid points. However, you are the program that everybody's talking about. You are the program that is ranked in the AP Top 10 for the first time in conference history. You are the program that's hosting the conference championship game. I am so very sorry that a global pandemic forced you to play a game later than you ever wanted to. But get the F over it. If you think you are the underdog, you're insane. <laughs> you're you're insane. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you and I talked about this yesterday. They get to sleep in their own bed the night before, eat breakfast as a team and all that good stuff, while we're going to spend Friday, maybe even Thursday. I, I don't know what the travel plans are, but we have to travel up to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, sleep in an environment that we're not comfortable in, our kids probably won't get as rested as they need to be. And then we have to walk into their stadium, a very intimidating place to play, and try and win a conference championship. Yeah. Where 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 in that statement are we the favorite? Do I mean, I, I'll tell you this. Do, do I, I do think- I do I think we're the better team? Bar none. Do I think we're the favorite in this game? God, no. I, I do think that um, – I do think if you look out at the public's perception on a national stage, they are, we are definitely not the favorite as far as public perception goes. Uh, we are indeed the underdog. We are indeed the – you know, because everybody's talking about Coastal in their situation of making a new year six, nobody's mentioning mentioning that about us. Um, and I think you bring up a good point, Matt. We have to go to their place. We have to travel, get on an airplane, fly out to South Carolina, stay at a hotel. I mean, we have to travel. They don't. And 
we have to go win a championship on their field. A field which they both, or they've beaten both App State and BYU within a few weeks of each other. And a field that has helped them to an undefeated record. So, as far as trying to say that there's some sort of victim or some sort of underdog, the only strategy behind that that I would think uh, Jeremy Chadwell would say that is to motivate his team. But in reality, to say that they're an underdog is a farce. Uh, I don't think we're, I mean, we are the underdog. Yes, I do think we're the better team. Yes, I do think we are clicking right now. Yes, I think we're going to win on Saturday. But going into this game, just because we had a buy and they didn't, look, they're still catching fire right now. Yes, they had a few injuries, but we are, <laughs> they are not the underdog. Um, so I think that was just something to leak to the press or put, push forward to the press. But let's, let's look at the logistics here. Again, we have to travel. They get to host. We got to go to their stadium and win. They're undefeated right now. We're not. Our only loss is to them. They came to our house and beat us back in October. They are not the underdog. So, I, I mean, he could say what he wants. And I understand you had to play a game on Saturday. We didn't. But you know what? This is, I mean, we, look, we could have played App State back in October. Instead, we had to travel to Boone in the cold rain, in 40-degree weather, and we, we went up to their house, a place that's very, very difficult to win at, by the way, on their senior night, and we beat them. So I think it's very possible that this Saturday, yes, I think we're going to win, but at the same time, uh, I think we have a little bit more to prove, and I think we have a little bit more to play for than they do, based on the circumstances. I mean, I, I, I agree completely. I, like, like you said, I think we're going to win. I think we're the better team. I don't, think, I, I think, I don't so. think we're the favorite. No, not right now. I mean, look, and again, from the public's perception, you know, I was reading some stuff on Twitter. I was on some message boards and I mean, even the fans, I mean, most, even App State fans, you know, we, we like to, we like to draw with them. And, and, and I know we mentioned, last week how they acted like a bunch of sore losers, but I'll give them this. I think there's a mutual respect between our fan base and theirs um, that to the point where I think, yes, we'll draw back and forth, but we kind of, one thing that the App State fan base has done is they've been able to adjust to being a Sunbelt member, if that makes any sense. Um, I find that some of the fans in Coastal because they've had a really good year, are getting a little too comfortable with their success. And what I find is because of whether it's the fans or what Jeremy Chadwell said, that there's a lot of fans that are by default pulling for us to win that game. Because it just, the, the, the optics just don't look good when you do that. Right. Um, and again, I know what, I understand why he did it. It's motivation. I get it. But if I'm an outsider looking in, and I see a team that's the meat that they are the Cinderella, kind of like uh, you know the George Mason in 2006 for the Final Four, or the, the Loyola Chicago a few years ago in the Final Four. They are the Loyola Chicago this year. Everybody's talking about them. You know, they love to talk about the mullets and all this stuff, and that's great. That's good. That's great for the conference, and that's great for their program. That does not mean you're an underdog. 
Right. That does not mean you're a victim. You are the media darling. Everybody loves you right now. You get to, you know, you get to host the championship on the teal field and your fans, I hate to say it, but some of their fans are getting a little arrogant about it. I've seen it on the message boards. And so when all of that combines into, well, gosh, man, we, we're just, we're shorthanded. We don't have this. We don't have that. If I'm a fan of, if I'm a state fan, a Georgia Southern fan, an Arkansas state fan, I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Right. What do you mean? And so I've noticed a lot of uh, App State, Georgia Southern, a few other fans are they're, they're pulling for the Cajuns just because of that. They're like, you know what? They've, they've had one successful year in the Sun Belt. Um, and all of a sudden, they, you know, I mean, we, we saw a tweet. We saw a tweet and we were, we we're playing App State. I think one of their Twitter handles or a fan Twitter handle from Coastal was like, we need to get out this conference ASAP because of the way the conference is doing stuff. And I'm like, wait a second, you've, You've been here for three or four years. You've had one good season. This is your first winning season as a football program in a conference, but yet now you're too good for the conference. Right. Slow your roll a little bit. Slow your roll a little bit. I understand you're successful, but let's, let's pump the brakes a second, you know? Because in no time, who knows? Barring a few injuries or a few situations, you could be back to five and seven next year. Yep. I don't know. So that's just my piece on that. Plenty, plenty more to talk about here on Region Review. We're going to go ahead and step aside and take a break. When we come back, we will go behind enemy lines, and we will be joined by Gabe McDonald of WMBF News in Myrtle Beach. Stay tuned right here on Region Review. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Ranging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. 
Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez here. Jerry Abair joins me as always. And we are joined for our Behind Enemy Line segment by Gabe McDonald, Sports Director of WMBF News in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Gabe, good morning. Thank you for joining us. And how is the weather in beautiful Myrtle Beach? Hey, good morning, guys. Appreciate you having me. And it is actually uh, perfect right now. I just got back in from the gym, uh, walking back up to my apartment. And uh, it's a good time to be living at the beach. You would think December would be kind of cold, but uh, up here it's, uh, it's been just fine for sure. Man, I'd, I'm so jealous. It's a crisp 46 in Lafayette this morning. So, you know, I want to I, I, I want to start, Gabe. You know, you have a you have a Louisiana background, being a Shreveport native. Um, you were telling us off the air you went to you went to Bird High School and eventually went to Arkansas Pine Bluff to play college football. Talk talk a little bit about, you know, your life in Louisiana and kind of how you ended up in Myrtle Beach. It was, uh, man, you know, I'll, Louisiana will always be home. You know, I have a lot of pride where I come from. I've been from Freeport. Uh, Seabird graduate, shout out to the Yellow Jackets. Hopefully uh, they can finish the job, play for a state championship pretty soon. Um, was able to get a scholarship and go up to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. For those that don't know, it's um, about 30 minutes south of Little Rock. So I went to an HBCU, um, UAPB, played ball up there, and, um, and I got into this crazy world of TV. Fortunate to uh, start my career down in Lake Charles, Louisiana. So it was good to start close to home. You know, um, sometimes in this business, you don't really get that opportunity early on to be able to be that close to home. So being three hours away, being able to go back whenever I wanted to for holidays or whatever was uh, always great. And then, um, you know, about five months ago, well, I've been in Myrtle Beach for five months, but, um, you know, I saw an opportunity out here to um, be able to kind of revamp the sports department because a lot of people don't know we're actually the newest station in town uh we're only uh, 12 years old only been around since 2008 so really i saw this as an opportunity to kind of rebuild a sports department that it kind of hasn't been around for a while so um excuse me so it was really a great opportunity for me obviously um living at the beach does have its perks so i've been uh i've been in myrtle for five months now and i've enjoyed every second of it uh it's great out here with uh it was a nice change of scenery for my career and everything. Yeah, there's, so, there's no go ahead, Jerry. No, I was going to say. Um, so, so, so uh, moving to Myrtle Beach, uh, change of scenery. Uh, how was the adjustment then? I, I know you said you've been there for about four or five months now. Um, moving from Louisiana, uh, has it been a big change for you, or is it one of those things that just you kind of know you signed up for the job? The job kind of entails moving every now and then. Uh, how, how has the adjustment been these past few months? Uh, especially in a year like we've had this year with the, with COVID and, and everything like that. Um, how's it been so far for you on a personal level moving to South Carolina? 
it's been a bit of a rush, honestly. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. The um, the moving part was very. Uh, oh, that was an that was an experience. I was actually uh, for people that don't know, um, I actually was out here for about three weeks with um, like no furniture, no anything. Uh, we had some issues with our moving company, so I literally had my MacBook, an air mattress, and a couple folding chairs for my first three weeks here. So that was a. Uh, that was a bit of a um, that was a bit of a trying time for sure. And then obviously, uh, my role in Lake Charles, we had a three man sports department, so I was the number three. Coming here, I'm actually solo, so I'm the really the only I'm the primary um, sports personality. So it's really been a bit of a rush. I kind of had to hit the ground running and really get out in the community and everything, and kind of find my footing rather quickly, despite everything going on. And um, luckily, things have worked out. There were a lot of questions on if the season would even happen. You know, fortunately. We were able to get in high school ball. Um, we had a lot of good things in the area. Obviously, the folks are doing what they're doing. It's been great. But, um, but yeah, it's been it, – at first, it was a little rocky, but I found my footing rather quickly, and um, it's kind of been full speed ahead ever since. Yeah, you know, you, you, you talked about Coastal. You know, we're, we're obviously going to focus on that considering the, the championship game is four, yeah. four days away now. 11-0, and 0, number nine in the AP – Last we last we looked, they were thirteen in the playoff poll. What? How has Coastal been able to be so successful, considering they were five and seven a year ago? It, it's honestly, it's been remarkable, and um, a lot of people see the five and seven. Their big thing for this year has been the number twenty four. So last year, um, of those seven losses, five of them came by a combined 24 points. So you have a couple plays in each game. If those go the other way, you know, that's a team that wins a few more games and possibly gets into a bowl game. So this team, they showed last year that they were on the cusp of something great. Um, another thing that some people might know, they're actually one of two programs in the country that was able to get in all 15 spring practices. They actually started spring ball on signing day, and they were able to wrap up, you know, before everything kind of got crazy with the pandemic. So that's another advantage as well that probably led to the success. The team had that camaraderie. They got in those reps during the spring, and that kind of just transitioned into the summer. And uh, really from the time that I was first around the team, I could just kind of sense that even though they've come up short in recent years, that they could do something special. And, um, I mean, obviously with what they're doing now, it's been honestly remarkable. They've only been in the FBS for four years. They go three and nine, two, five, and seven seasons, and now they're a top ten team. So it's, it's honestly been remarkable, but I could really sense something early on that uh, this team could do something special, and um, they're doing just that at this point. Now, with their success and with you being there uh, so soon, uh, it's almost like perfect timing, really. You know, you move right. there, and the team goes, the team becomes the, I just called them the Loyola Chicago, kind of like the Final Four, right? The right, Loyola exactly, Chicago yeah. of college football or the Gonzaga or the George Mason, right? Um, moving, moving forward to Saturday, uh, you're a Louisiana native. You, I'm right. sure you're pretty familiar with, with, with the UL Raging Cajuns a little bit. Um, what's it like covering, I mean, and again, perfect timing, right? You move to Myrtle Beach. Exactly. I was just talking to you, Coach Dadwell about it yesterday. I mean, what what is it like covering uh, an undefeated coastal team that's ranked in the AP Top 10 and covering them against number 17, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, uh, a school that was that you grew up, you know, three hours down the road from, it has to be like a match made in heaven as a sportscaster, knowing um, your background, knowing that you just moved to to, to, to Myrtle Beach. Um, from a personal level, 
that ha- there has to be a little bit of uh, sentimental value to that, I would assume, right? Oh, yeah, it's really cool. Actually, um, UL was really a school that I was looking at going to um, coming out of high school. Um, I was hoping to possibly get an opportunity to play ball. If not, I would just go there just to go there. Um, it was a school that had my attention for a while, always had um, a lot of love for it. And um, it's actually pretty cool. One of their assistants, um, David Decker, he's a grad assistant. He's from the Shreveport area. We played against each other. He went to Calvary Baptist. So um, we haven't talked much yet. I'll probably hit him up pretty soon. Um just kind of to get his thoughts on everything, but uh, it's it's really cool, man. I mean, you well, I had a lot of friends that went there and still go there and everything, and, and obviously having that relationship with it, and it's it's been fun. Like you said, it's like a match made in heaven. You know, I get to cover one of the biggest stories in college football, and then they get to welcome in, you know, a team, a school that I wanted to go to, and I was kind of I was a little heartbroken. I wanted to go to the um to the the regular season matchup. Obviously, got moved to a Wednesday, so it's kind of hard to catch a flight. Myrtle Beach to Lafayette in the middle of the week. But um, it, it's really cool, man, you know, just to have them come out here and with so much on the line, you know, it's um, it's a heck of an opportunity. I honestly cannot wait. Uh, I'm kind of – I mean, this is what you sign up for when you get into the business. Do you want weeks and games like this? Um, because it just – you know, I'm, it's always fun. And the main thing for me, I kind of treat every – like whether it's Friday and I'm covering high school or Saturday covering college, I just treat it like I'm still playing. Like I get up, you know, I'm listening to music. I'll probably go work out or something. Like I still kind of have that feel. Like I treat every game that I cover like it's a game day. And I'm just, it's fun. <laughs> so it's good to still be around the game and everything for sure. You know, since you mentioned game day, uh, have you been able, now, now I know with COVID restrictions, you're media. So of course you probably get certain privileges that the ordinary fan wouldn't, but have you been able to attend every game covering it? Like, would, have they allowed you and, you know, going to every home game? Were you there for the App State showdown? Were you there for BYU? Uh, were you there for the college game day coverage? How has all of that been? And, well, I mean, were you able to experience it? And how was it? And just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a rush. We've actually, you know, luckily um, the guys here, they're, um, they, they really are media friendly, I, I should say. We've been able to shoot every game. Uh, we've been able to be on the field. I know some people when they shoot games have to be either up top or in the bleachers. So they've been um, they've been really uh, friendly to us at the local level. We've been I've been able to shoot every home game. Uh, wanted to go to a road game. They played Georgia State, which is only a five hour drive, but it was a noon game. And try to turn around and do that after high school football is just not feasible. But luckily, I've been able to be at every home game. We did a lot of team coverage leading up to uh, obviously the BYU game and how big it was and everything. Wasn't able to. Um, wasn't able to attend game day live. I kind of just watched it at home. Um, there was, you know, ESPN, they're kind of strict with a lot of things, especially with everything going on now. But just watching it at home and being able to be like, hey, like that's literally 15 minutes up the road from my apartment. It was it was pretty cool. So, um, But, yeah, fortunately, we've been able to um, to capture this season, you know, firsthand and, um, and have a lot of really good access. And, of course, with them having the success that they're having, it's definitely going to be a lot of good stuff for us to look back on and, Plenty of stories to tell, which is what you want for this job. Gabe, you know, going back to July and August when you when you first got to Coastal Carolina, first got to the Myrtle Beach area, obviously within a program, expectations are always high no matter, you know, what kind of season you had the year before. But realistically, from the outside looking in, what were the expectations for this program for the 2020 season? I think the main thing for these guys was, 
the main thing for these guys, because coming off the of last year, you know, losing the tight game, I think the big thing for them was getting to a fall because they go five and seven in 2018. They lost a game to South Alabama by three at the last second. So if they win that one, they go six and six. So obviously, last year they had the five close losses. I think the main thing for them, they probably weren't like set out to have this unbeaten run and possibly win a championship. I know the big thing that I was really hearing when I first got here, the main thing for them, get to a bowl game. You know, that would be huge for this program. You know, we can do that because I would think normally most teams, they try to set out to do that because you really only need six wins to do it. Trying to win a conference championship kind of takes a little bit more step. So I think the big thing for them was, hey, let's get to a bowl game and then everything can kind of come from there. But they've exceeded that times 10. I mean, they're in the top 10 now and obviously playing for a conference championship and even have a shot to make a New Year's Six if, if everything works out their way. You know, the big name right now for, for Coastal, of course, uh, redshirt freshman quarterback Grayson McCall. Um, something about that kid that's just special. Uh, you watch the way he you, you watch the way he presents himself on the field. He looks like a three or four year starter. I mean, he looks exactly. like a veteran, solid quarterback that just is a solid field general, and he just works that offense to perfection. Um, you've had the privilege to cover him. Actually, for us as Cajun fans, we've you know, since the first matchup, we've kind of followed him a little bit because of his early success as a, you know, again, redshirt freshman quarterback right. looking like a stud at a place. Especially, like, no, no disrespect to Coastal, but, you know, when I think of a freshman quarterback, I think of, like, a Johnny Mansell who, you know, went to A&M and kind of came out of nowhere. But right. this, is, this is a G5 quarterback as a freshman who's just lit it up and has just taken control of this team. He's a leader in the locker room. He's a general on the field. I mean, I look back at the – I mean, Matt and I look back at that last drive against Troy, you know, to, to lead that team to that winning that winning score. Uh, you know, it's safe to say – we're just going to say it. Grayson Paul is a stud. He's the man. What's his recipe to success? From the times you've covered him and you get to talk to him, I'm sure, what, what, what do you see? And you're a former player. Right. Player to player, what do you see with Grayson? What makes him – the quarterback that he is, especially as a, as a freshman quarterback? I just see a lot of football smarts, man. That kid is extremely efficient. Um, he's just, I mean, he came out of nowhere. Like, you know, all throughout fall, all throughout fall camp, you know, we hear about their two juniors who have split time, and then all of a sudden, Kansas game comes around, so she doesn't announce the starter in his presser, and then come kickoff against Kansas is Grace McCall. I'm like, who, the, who is Grace McCall? Like, I'm, I'm literally at practices all throughout camp, and I'm mainly focusing, you know, you have these two juniors battling it out, and then he just comes out of nowhere and absolutely just, I mean, he's been going crazy. You know, five touchdowns on the road against a Power 5 team, and it just came from there. He's just, he's extremely efficient. And um, you mentioned the drive against Troy. I mean, for a retro freshman to do that after just throwing a pick the drive before that allowed Troy to go up, you know, a terrible mistake. It was a, it was a play where he probably should have just taken the sack. Coach alluded to it after the game. But for him to come back and respond the way that he did, I was like, this kid is this kid is special. And even talking to Coach uh, Stadwell yesterday, he's like, he just has he has something that you can't coach. And he said all the great ones do. And um, the fact that he'll be around for years to come bodes really well for this program because uh, that kid can play. And he's extremely, extremely efficient with the ball. And you can tell whenever um, him and that offense is out on the field. So, you know, Gabe, there's no question on the offensive side of the football that there are – Plenty of, of of playmakers. Obviously, Grayson McCall, uh, C.J. Marable's been one of the best running backs in the conference. Isaiah Likely, Javon Haley, 
you know, on and on and on. If you had to pick, and I'm talking offense, defense, and special teams. Right. If you could talk one major difference maker from every facet, who who would it be? Oh, I already know. It, without question, the Jordan Strong, cornerback. He is, I've said it time and time again, he's probably somebody that I asked coach about after, honestly, every game. That guy is, I mean, without him, I don't know if this team is 11-0. Like, for him to come in from Duco, he's just been, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain. He, he's been everything for this team. I mean, that secondary was really the main question mark. Like, we knew who, we knew what they had up front. There's guys like Teron Jackson, C.J. Brewer. Another difference maker I'll m- will mention is their nose guard. Um, he came in as a tight end, put on a lot of weight and everything. Uh, Gerard Clark, number 15, he's a retro sophomore. I would say when you have a guy up front like that that can plug the middle, that has that size, and then you have somebody that has that swagger in the secondary, it definitely can carry a team. And um, both of those guys, but I would say in particular to Jordan, I mean, he's, he's, brought, in, he's brought so much to that secondary because that was really the main question mark really for this entire team. Uh, we kind of knew where they had, what they had rather in most other position groups. But the secondary has really kind of been the big question mark. And he's just brought so much to that team. Obviously, currently tied to the nation's lead in interceptions with five. And he's just a playmaker, man. Like, there's just no other way to put it. The Jordan has meant everything to not just that defense, but this team in general. And he just, and his energy just really rubs off on everybody. Coach alludes to it all the time. He just, he brings so much to this team. And he, he really loves a lot of guys that come from Juco. Maybe they're looking for, you know, the next thing or whatever. But he loves being here in Conway. And that's something that's really important that Coach always talks about. And he's just really appreciative of this opportunity. And so far, he's made the most of it. So he's, he's definitely been a guy that has made a huge difference for this team. Well, I definitely know. I definitely know that a quarterback for App State, Zach Thomas, probably doesn't like him too much. Uh, <laughs> I, remember the, the, uh, I remember watching the game and that, that game clinching uh, pick six in the game by uh, the Jordan Strong was just outstanding. Oh, um, man. That stadium erupted. <laughs> well, I mean, we kind of laughed it off because, uh, you know, we've gotten a little flack from the Appalachian State uh, fan base because we've, we've said before that Zach Thomas is a good quarterback, but sometimes it can be a little overrated. And uh, watching that game, it's like seeing the way he was pressured. I mean, I think, in my opinion, the Coastal Carolina game film against App State, I wouldn't be surprised if our coaching staff studied that going into our App State game on how to contain Zach Thomas because they provided the perfect formula. They provided the perfect scheme to put pressure on him. And I would say, as a quarterback, that was probably his worst game, uh, the worst conference game. So, um, yeah, the Jordan Strong definitely deserves the credit for that. He might right. have uh, unintentionally helped us prepare for Zach Thomas, which, of course, got him a win. So let's just hope he doesn't play like that this weekend. Let's hope that he kind of, you know, pushed all of his momentum to that game and the other game <laughs> because uh, if the Jordan Strong shows up this weekend, uh, it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for our offense. Yeah. But um, anyway, moving moving forward, um, so – uh, C.J. Marable. C.J. Marable, he's, he's had a great year so far. He's uh, rushed for almost 1,000 yards. I think he's, he's gained about, I think it's 887 right now. He's averaged right. around 76.7 yards per game, 12 touchdowns. Uh, and, and the thing about it is Coastal's offense is like, it's like Chinese water torture for defenses because <laughs> they don't, there's no big plays, right? There's no plays that goes, I mean, outside of a few long balls, 
they dink and doink, they go their four yards per carry or four yards per play, and they extend drives for like, you know, uh, eight or nine minutes. Right. Um, and C.J. Marable is a big part of that, uh, especially in short yardage. Talk a little bit about C.J. Marable. How impressive has he has he been for the team so far, and what kind of uh, what kind of assets does he bring to to this offense? He brings a lot. Uh, he can get it done. You know, out of stepping out of the backfield, obviously running the ball. He's really kind of this has really been the season where he's not had a lot of the spotlight because obviously they have two other backs. They have a um, transfer from um, Independence Community College, um, Shamari Jones, that just came in this season, and also um, Reese White. So he's really been sharing a lot of the carries. Now, as of late, he has been going absolutely crazy, over 400 yards these last three games. And um, I want to say uh, eight combined touchdowns, rushing and receiving. So he's really come on strong as of late in these recent games. But he brings a lot. He's one of the most versatile backs, honestly, maybe in the country. I mean, he can really he can get it done in the return game. He's even on the punt team. Like, he'll, be, he'll go down and he'll down punts at the one-yard line. I saw it against um, – against South Alabama. So, I mean, he, he he does so much to the team, and he's really been able to come on strong in recent weeks because um, earlier in the season, they were kind of allowing each running back to really get a lot of the carries, but as of late, he's kind of stepped up and kind of got him back into that role. He's currently the second um, leading rusher in school history. So he's um, he means a lot to the team. He can get it done in a number of ways. You know, we, we, we mentioned the Jordan Strong a second ago, you know, he he's one of many names on this defense. Obviously, uh, Teron Jackson, C.J. Brewer, uh, Teddy Gallagher, Silas Kelly. Y- you mentioned Gerard Clark. I mean, it, it it's kind of feeling like Conway has the G five Legion of Boom. <laughs> you know, I, w- what, I would say so. What 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 sets this defense apart from you know other dominant defenses in the country and i'm a defensive guy myself you know i would say um everybody knows their role nobody really tries to do too much and that really helps and they have a heck of a guy um dialing in everything and chad sacks he's probably he's actually a nominee for the Bros award an incredible dc and a great guy off the field as well but uh this defense like everybody they just know they they know their job nobody tries to do too much or try to make any plays that, you know, they shouldn't make or anything. Like, everybody kind of knows their role. And nobody really kind of like some – like, one week, you know, C.J. Brewer might go off. He has 14 tackles against that state. Or another week, it's Teron Jackson. Like, nobody really – everybody wants to see everybody shine. And when you have those kind of guys on defense, especially, that definitely will bode well for your program. And that's really what they have. You know, because one week, it'll be this guy getting it done. Another week, it's this guy. So, I think the main thing is – they all want to see everybody eat, and they don't really have any egos on that side of the ball. And obviously having that on defense is uh, huge. And like you mentioned, they got playmakers everywhere. I think a name you probably didn't mention, uh, Jeffrey Gunner. I mean, that guy has been probably – that's another difference maker. He obviously was with the program, transferred out to NC State, came back this season. He actually just graduated recently. He's been huge. Obviously he had the game um, stealing strict sacks the other day against Troy. He's been a really, really key piece uh, for this program. And obviously just a junior, so they have him back next season, along with um, obviously guys like Gerard Clark and Jordan. So this will be a solid defense for years to come. But the main thing is they just want to see everybody eat. You know, nobody really gets the ego or, or anything. And um, that's, I mean, that's what you need on the defense. 
You know, it's it, you know yep. it's crazy. We 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 mentioned impact players on the defense. We have in total mentioned seven guys. Right. Out of out of eleven. Exactly. That, they they have ballers at all three levels, man. It's it, it's ridiculous, especially at the G five level. That, that's pretty. That's pretty wild. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think when I look at coastal as a whole, um, Louisiana and coastal have a lot of similarities with the. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. There's playmakers, but they run through a certain system. Uh, it's nothing fancy. It's nothing special. It's nothing that looks too. I guess is the word, right? Like it, it, no, no big, big plays every now and then, but they just run through a system that works. And I guess the, the effectiveness behind it is everybody plays his role in that system. Uh, and so it's, that's what I love when you have two disciplined teams. And look, Appalachian State is very similar. Um, I think the Cajuns and Coastal both beat App State at their own game this year. Um, right. being able to be just a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more fundamentally sound within their system. So with that moving forward, um, these two teams battle it out on Saturday. And look, as a Cajun fan, and I'm sure even as a Coastal fan, it's unimaginable just a few years ago where we would be sitting here with possible New Year's Six Bowl uh, implications. Right. Um, I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, look, it, it, as a UL fan, again, I was just telling Matt early on, you know, we, I've sat through some Asian fans. We sat through some dark years, like some bad years, <laughs> to where we just wanted to win six or seven games, let alone go to a New Year's Six. But here we are talking about <laughs> New Year's Six bowl, <laughs> possible implications. Um from what you've seen, from what you've read, from what you've studied on, from what you've covered, what are the implications on your end? What are you hearing from Coastal side? Um, I'm sure you've heard the same with Louisiana. I know the big talk, the elephant in the room is the AAC championship outside of, of our upcoming uh, Sunbelt Championship matchup. What have you heard? What, what are some things you're seeing? And, and what are your thoughts on uh, possible New Year's Six Bowl uh, birth for either Coastal or Louisiana? I think, honestly, of all years, this would be the year you take two G5s. That's just my personal opinion. I think if you have an unbeaten Cincinnati team and an unbeaten Coastal team by the end of the week, I think they both deserve a shot. I mean, with everything this year, you have some conferences that aren't playing a full schedule. And um, I just think personally that if you have two unbeaten G5 teams, especially one that's 12-0, and 0, I don't know how you can leave both of them out. Now, the main thing is, at the moment, Cincinnati is currently the highest-ranked G5. So, basically, a lot is riding on them losing to Coastal. If they are able to lose, then I would say the winner of the Sunbelt Championship game would more than likely finish as the highest-ranked G5 and get the bid. Now, with UL having the one loss to Coastal earlier in the season, I'm not sure how high... They move up if they're able to win. That'll be something interesting to watch. But I definitely think if Cincinnati does fall and if Coastal is able to win, Coastal is definitely in the New Year's Six, which is crazy. I mean, this is a team that just started playing FBS football in 2017. So, so you know, one, one, one question I would like to pose is like you mentioned, you know, if there's two undefeated G5 teams, there, there's no way you don't make two spots. But 
you know, say hypothetically the Cajuns were to win this game and Cincinnati was to lose. You have three great G5 teams all, with, all, have one loss. all with one loss apiece. Who would get that, the New Year's Six <laughs> spot in your opinion? Man, that is a... Uh... That's that's the million dollar question, man. That is that's tough, honestly. Um, you got three really. Good, I really think you just have to look at at the guys. I mean, you just, I think really looking at ranked wins would be a big one. Which obviously Coastal definitely has help in that department. But if they lose this weekend, then that's um, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, it's ultimately up to the committee. I personally think if. If that does play out and you got all three one-loss teams, I honestly think it would be UL that gets the bid. Now, does the committee put them high enough behind uh, above a Cincinnati that loses? It just it, it's such a crazy game. I mean, it kind of depends on maybe how close the um, Cincinnati Tulsa game is or how close this game is. You know, well, if UL if UL is able to dominate and get a blowout win, obviously they've had an extra week to prepare and everything. Um, I think if they are able to dominate this game, then that would possibly move them higher than Cincinnati. It just I think everything really just depends on how the American game shakes out. And from there it'll just be a bit of a domino effect. Yeah, I, from what I understand, now this now correct me if I'm wrong, from what I understand, the highest ranked G five champion will go right. to, the, to the slot. So correct. my 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 I think the big question is is regardless of who wins Saturday, whether it's coastal or the Cajuns, if Tulsa beats Cincinnati, I think it's almost by default that either Coastal or UL will go to the New Year's Six because Tulsa would have to jump either UL or, 15, or Coastal. I just don't see that happening. Or, right. On a personal note, I just right. it would have to. I mean, they would have to jump like crazy amount. Of- oh yeah, most, most definitely. 15, of the four teams, Tulsa spots. definitely has on this thing. Yeah, I just, I, I just don't see that. I think because the way we've been talking about it in Lafayette is basically Cajuns win, Cincinnati loses, Cajuns are in the Beach Bowl. And I could probably say the same for Coastal. I mean, it'll most likely be the same for Coastal. Right. That's, that's normally, I think, I want to say that's the bowl that the G5 team would go to. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just, like, I, it, I just don't see, like, it would be, It'd be a miracle if they were able to ride that high. They have to absolutely obliterate Cincinnati if they were for them to jump uh, a Cajun team that uh, beats Coastal. Well, a Coastal team that wins and goes undefeated. Right. I I mean, yeah, you know, and and I think that's where... Here's the thing. In in my honest opinion, if Coastal wins on Saturday, I think regardless of... What sense how the American takes out they're in? They they need to be. I I agree. Whether whether it happens or not, I mean, like you said, that's up to the committee. But right. I, I think I think they're the most deserving. I mean, you're, oh, you're most talking, you have, you're talking I mean, about you have a team a, that beat Louisiana twice. Beat BYU. Beat BYU on two beat, on two days' notice. Beat App State. Like you know. And even though it's Kansas, I mean, you still went on the road right. to be a Big Twelve team. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if Coastal does win this game on on Saturday, in my opinion, regardless of what happens between Cincinnati and Tulsa, Coast, Coastal gets the spot. I would think so. I would hope so, but I just feel like there's a little, 
bias a little towards bias. the American. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, that's traditionally been the G five that has produced the team. I think in the history of the playoff, you've only had Western Michigan that one year. Yeah. And then you had Boise State one year. Every other year, it's been a team out of the American. So they've kind of proven consistently that, you know, they're the premier G5 conference, which is why you have Cincinnati that's ranked higher than Coastal. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I, um, I, I find it interesting because, to me, like Matt just said, Gabe, um, think of it this way. So you talk about the win at Kansas. Which, right. I mean, look, Kansas is Kansas, but it's right. dom- it, it was a dominating win. I mean, it pretty exactly. much crushed them. You, like, you went to a, a big ball team and absolutely wiped them off the field. You, you destroyed them. Um, and then you look at it, if they beat us, or they beat the Cajuns on Saturday, that'll be two wins against, that's, that's two wins against the same team, but it's two wins against the same team that was ranked. Exactly. Then you beat App State, who was also ranked earlier in the year. Um, and then it was won the conference four years in a row. Yeah, won the conference four years in a row. They were ranked to start the season, and they, they actually have a – I think they have one or two votes now in the top 25. And then you beat a BYU team who analysts were saying had an outside shot at the playoff first. So I, I just don't see how – and again, I know there's a little bias, but if you look at the resume, I just don't see how – Coastal has the best resume of any G5 team right now. Yeah. Or no. Right. And, and, and they and it played more games. And exactly. what was so, – and more wins than anybody in the country right now. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I do think, because look, the AAC markets itself as the, the P6, right? We're the P6. Right, exactly, right. I think there's a little obvious bias towards that where I think, I hope this doesn't happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if they allow a 9-0 Cincinnati team in regardless of if Coastal wins. I, and I don't think that's right, but I just, I don't know. I just have something, a bad something tells me. I mean, like you said, there there is bias towards the American for sure, and I mean, it ultimately, just comes down to the committee. But I mean, like we both said, it's when you look at the resume, Coastal has the best out of any G five team right now. Yeah. I mean, look, to, to win it, honestly, it's not close. To beat BYU, beating BYU was was. Well, man, that's the biggest win this, this this program has ever had. Oh. And, Easily, and, and and again, you beat a team that was hyped to be an outside outsider's shot of a playoff. Exactly. So basically, if, if BYU wins that game, they they make it into your six and possibly the playoffs. So that yeah. independent, they would have been able to get in. Yeah, and I, I look at Cincinnati's uh, schedule, and don't get me wrong, they have some impressive wins, but I don't think there's any that they have that is that good. I don't think there's any that that you go look at and go, oh, my gosh, what a – I mean, they, they beat – I mean, most of their wins, most of their wins were against – I mean, they, they beat they, they beat some decent teams, but, I mean, Memphis isn't quite what they were hyped to be. UCF lost three – I think UCF lost three games this year. Um, I mean, it's really – I mean, I, I don't – I don't. See, I mean, I don't see many. I mean, I see some impressive wins, but not not at the rate that Coastal has. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, I mean, like, like it'll be interesting to see what those rankings look like tonight. I promise you. Yeah. A lot's going to be hindering on that, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm anxious to see if, if they um, if they put Coastal in the top ten of the playoff poll. That'll be something interesting to watch. Yeah. There, there, there's no doubt about it, and I think Coastal deserves to be. In, in that in that top ten spot, you know, 
Gabe, let's talk about Jamie Chadwell for a second and the, yeah. the success he's been able to have with this coastal program. Uh, you know, there's been some rumblings that the university is working on a long-term extension for Chadwell. Right. They, um, they are working to, um, to keep him around for the long term. Cause the big thing with him and his career, he's really been able to turn programs around. I mean, everywhere he's been, you know, he did it at his first stop in North Greenville, obviously what he did at Charleston Southern. And now here, a lot of people don't know he was actually his first year here. He actually had to be the interim head coach because Joe Mowgli had a, a medical leave. So he was the interim head coach immediately when he got to Conway and then took over full time last year. But just, what he's been able to do and just, you know, the principles he's established, like these these players, love. I mean, they love this guy, man. I mean, I can see it every day, you know, whether I'm at practice or at games and stuff or just even interviewing players. Just, just he, he wants to be here. You know, talking with him yesterday, he definitely, um, he's all about, you know, focusing on where he's currently at and being able to, like, lay roots there. And, I mean, the opportunity he has here, I mean, it's, it's like a perfect storm. You know, you're, you have a good location. You know, for a G5 school, you have nice facilities. Like, you can really build a program. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to school for free and play football at the beach? You know, if I would have – I mean, if they would have been recruiting me, I would have been here like that, you know. So, I mean, it's it's really attractive. I mean, this place, and he wants to be here. I mean, he's, he's a great guy on and off the field. I'd say a man of faith as well. So, um, he's definitely somebody that um, Coastal's going to make sure they try to keep him around long term because – um. Like you guys have seen in the news, he's definitely in talks for a lot of high-profile jobs as well. I mean, and deservedly so. Yeah, you know, we, we've we've been dealing with that too, obviously with with Billy Napier. Oh yeah, most definitely with Coach Napier. Yeah, being being on everybody's short list. Exactly. You know, you know while while we're on the subject of, of Coach Chadwell, I want to get your opinion mm-hmm. on something. You know, I think it was yesterday, or maybe even the day before. He was interviewed about this game, and he he called Coastal Carolina the underdog. I did do that. You know, I I think the main thing with that basically, I mean, you have a team that is pretty banged up right now. You know, coming off a very tough BYU game, and then coming off a game against Troy that went down to the wire, which a lot of people, including myself, didn't really see coming. But obviously, for Troy, that was kind of their Super Bowl, uh, so to say. Because um, I mean, they're banged up team. Their starting left tackle is um done. The season is actually a um, a product of one of our local high schools. He got injured and he's done. Um, one of their hybrid safeties is hurt as well. And um, I don't know, a lot of people might not have seen, but Silas Kelly didn't play against Troy until the final drive. If he was he was the guy that was kind of um, banged up. So that's, that's the thing. I think the main thing with that is, I think the reasoning behind him saying that is you have a team that has been on a roll since they lost the Coastal, that's healthy, that has, two weeks to prepare for a pretty dang good team. So I can I can see why, like, although he is coaching the undefeated team, I think you have another team that is hungry and healthy that is just as good. I mean, the game was only a three-point game in October. So, I mean, it could have gone either way. So I can I can definitely see his reasoning behind that. I think it's just due in part to he's coaching a pretty banged-up team right now. We'll see how many guys that can get healthy. And then obviously you have a Cajun team that had an extra week to kind of rest and get their legs back up under them. Yeah, um, you know, we, we talked about this a little earlier, and this is just kind of from a from a Cajun fan's perspective. We're looking at it kind of kind of similar to what you said, as far as yeah, we, we had a buy, and um, you know, I know I know Coastal has some banged up players, but we still have to go to the Conway. We right, that is that is true. Still got to make the trip. Still got to make the trip. 
you know, like I said, uh, Coastal's the media darling. Everybody's talking about, you know, America's how they, team, they're America's team. <laughs> they're the, the Cinderella's and, 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 and uh, you know, top 10, top 10, you know, number nine in the country in the AP poll and uh, undefeated. And, and so for us, when we heard that, I'm kind of looking and, and, and don't get me wrong, I think on paper, talent wise, we are very similar. I, I have no doubt that we match with Coastal mano e mano. But I, I personally, from my angle, when he said that they're the underdog, I'm kind of like, well, hold up a sec, Coach. <laughs> pull the reins back a little bit. You know, you yeah. we got to go to your place. we got to win a championship at your house, a place where you beat BYU, a place where you beat App State. Um, so I don't know if, if you, I, I <laughs> maybe you would be the underdog. I guess, you know, from an outsider's perspective as a Cajun fan, I mean, we're – we're focused and we're ready to go, but right. that's where we kind of, I'm not going to lie, as, a, as an entire fan base, we kind of raise our eyebrows at that going, wait a second, hold on. <laughs> what, do you mean? what do you mean you're the underdog? We're, we're definitely not the favorite. <laughs> well, you know, what, what's getting what's getting interesting is, you know, if you look at the betting info, Coastal's currently listed as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the people that don't bet or whatever, you get three points for being the home team. Exactly. So, I mean, you play on so a neutral it's, field. It's basically, it's basically a pick your poison. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, definitely plenty, plenty to be excited about with this game. Oh yeah, most definitely. It's going to be a, a heck of a ball game, and um, I'm excited I get to cover it this time around. I kind of hate I missed the one earlier in the season for sure. Yeah, yeah that that was a that was a good game. Still leaves a still leaves a bitter taste in most Cajun <laughs> fans' mouths. Right. Um, we, we kind of feel like we gave that game away. Um, you know, Gabe, before we wrap up, if you could, mm-hmm. you know, talk about the strengths and weaknesses of, of Coastal Carolina. I think um, as far as, like, the program as a whole, school, or just, you know, really the team? The, uh, the, the program as a whole. Um, I would say, you know, a big thing, uh, I think location, honestly, is number one. I mean, being here – being, you know, at Myrtle Beach, being, I think being here, having this location is definitely key when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to keeping players here. I think a lot of guys kind of see the beach as, you know, I mean, it's, it's a nice luxury to have. I mean, especially me living here, I definitely enjoy it. I know a college kid would love it. I would love it too. Um, and you just have, there's a lot of uniqueness. I mean, you have, you know, the mascot in the field and everything. Like, there's just, I think, like I've been telling people, what they do here, like, works. I think when you tie in how the program is with this location, you know, you have these dudes with the mullets. You have the the rooster mascot, the teal field and everything. I think if you put this team anywhere else, it's not as cool. Like, you put this team in Columbia or anywhere else, I think having them here in Myrtle Beach is like a big strength and a big reason why they're getting a lot of attention because you have this really good team that's playing in a tourist town with mini golf spots and pancake houses at every corner. So I think that's one of the big strengths is having, you know, this team in this location. As far as a weakness, I think because they're they're so new. You know, they've only been playing football since 2003. So a lot of kids, you know, they grow up, they don't hear about Coastal Carolina. You know, the first time I ever heard about them was Dave Bennett, we need more dogs. You know, I'm like, who the heck is Dave Bennett? And it's kind of crazy 
speaking of him, you know, I'm on a Zoom call earlier uh, this fall, and he's an athletic director for one of the school districts in Columbia. And I'm like, wait, that's the dude from that press conference, and he used to coach here. And that was kind of a, a funny moment to realize, like, hey, that's the dude that did that. So I think one of the one of the weaknesses is because it's such a new program, a lot of people don't really know about it. But I think now with what they're doing, and obviously you tie in what they were able to do in baseball four years ago, I think a lot of people are starting to catch a lot of attention now. But I would say of weaknesses, them being such a new program is probably the main one. But they're starting to get a lot of notoriety now, for sure. So moving forward now, um, you know, we talked about what to expect. Uh, we talked about big showdown, um, you know, everything on paper. From Gabe's perspective, mm-hmm. what are your expectations for this game? Uh, if you could give us a prediction, and uh, you know who is the true favorite? What 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 kind of expectations do you have um, come kickoff on Saturday, and, and who's going to win? What 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 are we looking at here? I'm expecting a bit of a nail biter. I think you're going to see everything that you saw in the October matchup and possibly a little bit more. Um, I don't really see any team, you know, despite Coastal having to play and you all having the extra time, you know, this Coastal team, they've just felt so much disrespect, you know, all throughout the season. And I think that kind of helps them play with the chip and everything. So I really expect a bit of a nail-biter. If I had to give you a score, um, it probably would be around the same as the October game. If I had to guess, probably like, I would say a 31-27 game. Um, I really, something just tells me, you know, even though the Cajuns have had extra time to prepare, man, this this team is special here in Conway. Um, and being here, just at the center of it, just, you know, getting to know these guys and everything has been pretty special. I think, you know, this team, they set out, um, they set out a goal, you know, at the beginning of the season to win the Sun Belt and everything else would be cool, but, I really think this is a team that is focused on what they're doing despite being banged up, you know, despite the disrespect. I see them coming out and playing with the chip. And I see them getting it done 31-27. And um, I'll have to book my um, my flight to Atlanta for um, January 1st. God, that sounds fun. I wish I could do that. <laughs> I know, right? Um, let me ask you this real quickly before we let you go. You were talking about they feel disrespected. What? Yeah. What do they? What's the disrespect? If you don't mind me asking. Like, what are they? Do they feel like they're like we, they said they're the underdog? But is it is it from the media? Um, and I'm not talking about you at the local right. level, but the national media. Are they are they underestimating them? Like, what what sort of the, the grudge that that locker room is going through where they feel motivated? What's motivating them as far as the disrespect goes from that angle? Really, it, it's been a lot of um. It's, a lot of it has had to do with some of the rankings. You know, there's some weeks where, uh, excuse me, they've moved down. I want to say it was after the um, the South Alabama games. Like, they've moved down. Like, it's mainly had a lot to do with, you know, the playoff committee and, you know, them moving down one week. And I think the main thing is, like, you know, they feel like that their team, that despite, you know, being the small school, despite being an underdog, like, hey, we've proven on the field every week that we can play. And they feel like a lot of people still really aren't taking them seriously. They think it's kind of a gimmick or a cool story because you got the dudes with the mullets and everything and all that. But the thing that they want to prove is like, hey, like, yeah, we're a small school, but we can play with the best of them. And they've proven that each week. And like even talking to Coach Chadwell yesterday, he says it's like 
it's not anything that they take personally, but it adds just that extra chip, and you see it when they take the field every day. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've kind of noticed that too. The 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 level of you know, I, I, almost disrespect. Yeah, the the coastals coastals received from the media, especially from a ranking standpoint. You know, like you said after after that South Alabama game, them them dropping a spot was was a little a little crazy to me. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, we're looking forward to a to a great conference championship game. This is arguably the the biggest game in conference history. Uh, I mean, I would agree. I would agree with that for sure. Depending on depending on what the playoff rankings look like tonight, I mean, you could potentially have a top fifteen matchup for right. for the Sun Belt Conference Championship, which is, I mean, I've I've been a Sun Belt fan for twenty three years now, and I've never seen that. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's unheard of. Right, yeah, and I think I think. What's more, I'm sorry, I was going to say, I think what's more special about it, you know, we talk about the mullets and the, and the grind of Coastal, and, and the Cajuns are very similar in that way, the way Billy mm-hmm. Napier runs his program. It's their, the way Jamie Chadwell and Billy Napier coach, they're very, very, very similar. They're almost right. one of the same. Um, you know, one thing I love about college football teams like these two teams is that they're very blue-collar, right? Yeah. Um, they're grinders. They, you know, on paper, yes, there's the teams are full of talent, but at the same time, you know, like you said, there is a sense of people underestimating them from the perception of being in the Sun Belt to being maybe not being a, uh, a a bigger brand name that most people would expect. But I'm looking forward to just these two teams grinding because I love that blue collar feel about them. You know, uh, I thought the I'll be honest with you, uh, I thought the mullet thing, and I'm I'm surprised I, I'm I'm surprised at myself I haven't brought this up. How has that hype been about the mullet? Because, you know, in baseball at, at UL, uh, back in 2014, we were number one in the country, and we hosted a Super Regional, and the team decided to grow beards. And mm-hmm. uh, everybody had, you know, even fans were growing beards. That was the big thing was the beard. Have Have you seen any uh, any mullets? Around uh, uh, Myrtle Beach or Conway, uh, or more mullets around town. Mullet train. I was about to say Teddy I've Gallagher's. Teddy Gallagher's <laughs> got a nice one. Oh, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> main So it really started during fall camp. Uh, I actually asked coach about this yesterday. So it started as a much mustache thing that they were doing during fall camp, and then it kind of grew into them growing mullets. And Teddy and Silas, who like started it. And also the long snapper, um, CJ Shrimp, they were really the kind of the masterminds behind it. Obviously, Teddy kind of took it to another level with his blonde mullet. But, uh, and now you got, you know, you have a few assistant coaches that have them. Like, even the strength coach has one, and he has like the little, uh, he has like the little, like, part on the side, like three lines or whatever. Um, even Teddy has like a lightning bolt shaved into his on the side. So they've, they've done a lot. Even Grayson has one now. Um, a lot of the players, it's really started to catch on uh, earlier this season in the presser. Chadwell um, said he was like, you know, we keep winning. You might see mullets on uh, on everybody, including me. So I'm anxious to see um, if we'll start to see one either after this game or if they get the bowl game and win that. I'm anxious to see if the mullet will come on the head coach. But um, it's been pretty funny uh, to see. And then just even going around town, um, I've seen some as well. You're starting to see a lot more, a lot more teal around here that are garnered in black or orange for Clemson. So there's a lot of pride in the community for this team, which is something that they really appreciate because 
you know, in a state where you have two power five schools, like I experienced this cover McNeese with LSU down the road. I'm sure you guys do the same covering UL with LSU down the road as well. There's always going to be love for the bigger school. But when you have, you know, your local team doing well too, and the community starts to rally behind them, that's pretty cool as well. Yeah, no. Yeah, we're we're pretty much enjoying we're enjoying uh, what's going on right now. I know LSU's yeah. having a down year, but we're we're definitely capitalizing on that for sure. Oh yeah, most definitely. And that's the thing with with coastal, you know, with South Carolina, you know, that's that's the big thing with uh with them. Obviously, you still have Clemson. Clemson is going to be Clemson, but you know, they're kind of capitalizing on the Gamecocks having a bit of a down year as well. Yeah. Hey Gabe, before we go, man, tell uh tell our listeners where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at uh, at Gabe McDonald, G-A-B-E, the McDonald, like the restaurant, underscore. Uh, Facebook as well, Gabe McDonald, W-M-B-F. And um, also on Instagram, Instagram is the same handle as the Twitter, Gabe McDonald, underscore. You know, always posting, um, you know, more than news and stuff. You know, I'll post about food and music and just anything that interests me, obviously. You know, um, just it's a good way to relate with the fans because, you know, they see – you as somebody that they can relate to and even players as well, you know, that kind of increases your following and their trust in you. And that's one of the main things. I want to be somebody that people in this community can trust, but also relate to as well. Hey, you know what? Just bring some of that Louisiana culture up there. Food and some good Zydeco music. Did they say I need y'all to bring me some food. If anybody y'all know is coming from Lafayette, tell them I need some wings from Kitchen on Clinton and Ooh. I need some bouquet oh. from, uh, from Billy's. Oh man, that's why you, know, you you named up some good ones there. You, you hey, know, man, you know. every time I would go to Lafayette, so I would cover um, with me being the number three in Lake Charles. I got to travel a lot, so when they had like they would have the I ten bowl and stuff, I got to go out there. Anytime in East baseball or softball was on the road, I always got to travel because it was the middle of the week, and that was what I got to do. And I always made sure to always get some good food. Obviously, I love. I know it's a chain. But BJ's is my spot, man. Those uh, Pazookies, man. Oh, my God. I'm a big food guy, man. But, no, uh, Gabe, I actually I actually know a guy making making the trip to Conway. So, well, if, maybe we'll if be you able can, to If you can let him know, tell him I need some kitchen on Clinton wing and some <laughs> sand balls. Yeah, we, 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 we might be able to hook you up, man. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Luckily, we have a walk-ons out here. It just opened, like, maybe a couple weeks before I moved out here, so that was also perfect timing. So I may want to have a little bit of taste of home, but there's nothing like getting it from the source. Right, right. Well, I, I got to ask, since you are since you are by the beach, I was there. I mean, obviously, the seafood's a little bit different, but I'm sure they got some good seafood on the coast, right? I would think they have uh, some, some it, It's stuff. okay. Like you said, it's different. Uh, when we first moved out here, me, my mom, my brother, and sister-in-law, we all went out. And uh, I quickly learned that I was um, not in Louisiana anymore. They're more, <laughs> they, they steam a lot of stuff. It's not really fried or boiled like we're used to down there. So it was, it was different. So I kind of just keep it to walk-ons and I'll, I'll enjoy everything else. I kind of haven't gotten into the Carolina seafood just yet. That's awesome. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us, man. Enjoy the game on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk to you sometime in the future. Oh, yeah, will do. I appreciate you guys having me. Great guys, for sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Gabe. And, uh, yeah, continue to be safe and um, enjoy the game. Man, you're so lucky. You get to go. we got to watch it on TV in the cold. Enjoy the game. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be a great experience, man. I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, looking forward to Saturday. 
Beautiful, beautiful. All right, man. Thanks, Gabe. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys. There he goes, Gabe McDonald of WMDF in Myrtle Beach. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we will wrap up this interview, and we will give you an update on what's going on on the Cajun's hardwood from the men's and women's perspective. Stay tuned right here on Rage Review. PSC Supply and Hardware, locally owned since 1987, is the official hardware store of the Range and Review podcast. PSC is Louisiana's oldest dealer of Traeger grills and one of two platinum dealers in the state. PSC is your barbecue headquarters, carrying PK and Weber grills, Blackstone products, and the largest selection of barbecue seasonings in South Louisiana. Do you need propane? On sale every Saturday. What about pellets for your electric smokers? That's on sale every Saturday, too. Come see what Willie and the gang out at PSC Supply and Hardware, 1014 Albertson Parkway in Broussard, or call 337-837-2811. Check out their website, pscsupply.com. Award Master, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Award Master creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review trust Award Masters for all of their needs, and you will too. Award Masters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Award Masters a call today, 337-984-1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Award Master, the recognition and personalization experts. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez and Jerry Abair joining you. And we just wrapped up with Gabe McDonald from Myrtle Beach, a former Louisiana native. And, you know, Jerry, he, he talked about a bunch of different things about this football game. And, you know, he opened my eyes to a couple of things. But what was your most interesting part about sitting down with, with Gabe? Um, I really enjoyed his experience there. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, it, it's, uh, I mean, obviously he's knowledgeable of what's going on with the coastal football program, but it's just a great, it's just great timing for him to be down there, uh, with the Cajuns, you know, knowing that he's from Louisiana and then having, or should I say a right Cajuns team going down to coastal, uh, to a local team that he covers, uh, that's in the top 10. I mean, that's a, every sportscaster's dream. So he is living the dream right now of getting to enjoy um, this upcoming game and then getting to enjoy the season that, that, that the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers have had, um, you know, all year long. So um, great guy, great interview. Um, it was cool to hear about his background, former college football player, um, you know, went to Bird High School and Shreveport native. So he knows a lot about the Cajuns as well. And uh, I like his taste. I like his taste, no pun intended, and his uh, and his and his food. Uh, talking about right, right. Billy's and BJ's and you know and the, uh, and the, the kitchen old, on Clinton. And the good old KOK. KOK. I mean, uh, man, you, that, that 
that's as good as it gets. So I was impressed. But I uh, want to thank Gabe for coming on and um, best of luck to him in his career and, and hope everything works out for him. And like I said, he's lucky. He gets to go enjoy that game on Saturday on that teal, on that teal turf. If, if the KOK guys are listening, Raging Review wants to do a live broadcast from from your restaurant. So let's let's – Let's get on that. Jerry, you know, let's let's transition from football to the hardwood now. Uh, you know, talking about the men's team first, getting a huge win over Louisiana Tech on Saturday. At one point, you know, the Cajuns were down, if I remember correctly, I think they were down they were down 14 at half. Um, and then they came back in the second half, outscored the Bulldogs 40 to 21 in the second half to walk away with a 61 to 56 victory 25 of those 61 coming from Cedric Russell you know the it it's always fun to beat Louisiana Tech especially in basketball but you know did, did it have to be that difficult <laughs> well it's a win um it, it is a win i want to I'm just happy that I'm just happy that they, they were able to, to come down or come back from um, come back from a 16 point deficit in the second half and, and to do it against Louisiana Tech made it even sweeter. So uh, regardless of what people think about basketball, regardless of the opinions and all that stuff, uh, you know you can kind of take that away for just a few days and enjoy a nice solid win against a Tech team that's pretty that was pretty doggone good. Um, yeah. Three and one coming in, they had some decent wins and uh, came to our place thinking they were going to dominate, and it looked like it for a little while. But this Cajun team fought back and were able to get the win. And then it was, uh, and watching their fans implode about it was was even more hilarious. So of course, we had some fun on social media about that. But um, you know, this team showed a little promise. This team showed some fight, and um, let's hope that that can continue uh, starting tonight against UNO. Cajuns as a whole shot thirty five percent from the field. But the key statistic was that they out-rebounded Louisiana Tech 49-32. to 32. So that, yeah. that was definitely a difference maker for the Cajuns' leading rebounder was Theo Akuba with 10. And, you know, you mentioned the, the Cajuns are back at home tonight to play UNO, 6 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. You know, the Cajuns have already played UNO once. We went to the lakefront, was it last week? Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it, it was a close one, probably closer than it needed to be. Uh, the Cajuns walked away with a three-point victory in that one. Do, do you think – do you see a different result coming for for the Cajuns and Privateers tonight? Um, I, I don't. Look, I, I, UNO is sitting with a 1-5 record right now. I thought athletically the Cajuns were a lot better than the three-point win that they pulled off. Um in New Orleans, like watching the game, the teams, you know, we're more athletic, we're faster up the court, we shoot a little bit better. Uh, right now, the Cajuns are struggling beyond the three-point line. And I think once that starts to click, that's going to help a lot more. Um, they've been getting a lot of points in the paint. Uh, guys like Akuba have really been stepping up on the inside, which has created more of an inside presence, which has helped a lot more. Um, you know, Cedric Russell's been hot or cold. Uh, Malik Wilson has had his ups and downs, but I think he's starting to click at the right time. He actually had a really good second half um, against Tech the other night. I think defensively, especially on the fast break, agents are very physical and very athletic. So uh, I think this team is a lot better, or the Cajuns are a lot better 
in a three-point win in New Orleans. Um, I thought that game should have been a double-digit win, and I expect that, especially being at home tonight, uh, after a big win against Tech on Saturday, I expect the Cajuns to pretty much do what they have to do and take care of business against UNO tonight uh, in the Cajun Dome and, and, and improve their record. And win tonight, they'll be 5-1. and one. So uh, before before uh, scheduling a sort of a out-of-nowhere game against Magnese on Saturday, so they have a they have a chance to make a little bit of a run and um, have a nice cushion or cushion themselves for a nice record before conference. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Tip off at six p.m. from the Cajun Dome. Let's, let's look at the women's now. You know, yesterday they had a impromptu matchup in Baton Rouge against against the Fighting Tigers of LSU, and Gary Broadhead's program put on a show. I mean, well, obviously, here's the issue. Good. Well, I was going to say, probably sometime midway through the third quarter or late in the third quarter, they had shot from about 19% from the field. If they were shooting around 30 to 35%, we're talking about a win in Baton well, Rouge. Yeah. Um, and so, I think, look, they, they, they fought hard. They played hard. They didn't quit. They were down 13 at one point, brought it with one point with like three or four minutes left. And it's one of those games that got away. But man, if you're shooting, if you, if you if they would have shot better than nineteen percent in those first two and a half quarters, they could have won. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those games where it's frustrating to lose, but it's even more frustrating because they just didn't shoot at all. Um, but you know, that means they have room for improvement, and they they have, you know, they they they, they grind. And the fact that they didn't quit, they didn't back down, they fought hard to the end. I mean, it's it was a it was a hard fought five point loss. Maybe one day down the road they meet again or you know play a higher level competition like they did last night. They they'll they'll sneak one out. Brandy Williams with sixteen points and eight rebounds. Ty Doucette with fourteen and ten, and Skylar Goodwin coming in with twelve points as well for Gary Broadhead staff. You know. Only shot thirty three percent from the field, like you said. Uh, definitely not the best. It wasn't the best shooting performance for the Cajuns. Two of thirteen in the second quarter, um, which, in my in my opinion, that's definitely got to be the difference maker for for the Cajuns' leading scorer for LSU. And I'm gonna butcher this name, Faustine Aufa. She had fifteen and twelve for the Tigers. You know, 45% for LSU. And a stat that really sticks out to me is that the Cajuns were outscored in the paint 42-20. to 20. Yeah. Yeah, they had an uh, LSU brought an inside presence in the second half that just the Cajuns couldn't match. And I thought that that was sort of the difference maker um, in spite of some of the missed shots early on. But, um, yeah, again, some of those shots go in and you shoot better than 19% for first the first two and a half quarters, we win that game last night. Yeah. But one thing that shows promise was Cajuns were, I think, close to 85, 90% from the free throw line. Um, Let's see. They didn't miss much. I can tell you, from the free throw line for the game, they were 80%. Yeah. They actually went, I think, the first 16. I think they went 16 for 16 to start. And actually, that the free throws is what kept them in the game um, in the first half. But... Yeah, they finished, 18, uh, made they up finished 18 of 23 from the free throw line. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I think the unfortunate thing was most of those misses were in 
key times towards the end of the game, but well, they went, they it is went what over, it is. They went over four in the fourth quarter from the free throw there line. There you go. So there you go. We lost the, the game by five. So. With with the loss, UL improve falls to one and two. They will host Rice. They will travel to Rice. I'm sorry. Tomorrow at 2 p.m. with the win, LSU gets their first win of the year as they now sit at one and three. So, Jerry, you know, before we wrap up, obviously 2.30 on Saturday, everybody's eyes in Lafayette. It's got to be on ESPN for the Cajuns and Chanticleers. You know, we, we've talked about it off the air, but let's let's talk about it now before we wrap up. Do the Cajuns win this football game? Absolutely. I expect them to win this football game. And not because as a fan, but, you know, the Cajuns played sloppy that first matchup uh, back in October at home when, when the Shanta players came to Lafayette. And, and it took a last-second field goal for them to beat us. And um, I think both teams have improved, not taking anything away from Coastal. I think they've improved since then. But I think the Cajuns have really clicked since then uh, in, in spots where we need them to. For example, our rush defense has been solid. And we all know Coastal likes running that triple option sometimes, very similar to what, or should I say the re-option, very similar to what Georgia, Georgia Southern runs. Um, and if you can do that and contain the run and try to make them as one-dimensional as possible defensively or make them offensively as one-dimensional as possible, um, that gives us a better chance. Uh, I think it's going to come down to another situation where offensively we're going to have to stay balanced and Levi's going to have to be Levi. He's going to have to use his feet. He's going to have to be mobile. He's going to have to make good decisions on the run. He's going to make, have to make good decisions on the pass. And I think the offensive line has improved a ton since the first matchup to where I think we'll get a rushing game going. Um, Troy, the other day, showed me that you can move the ball on this team. You can score on this team. And I expect us to do just that. The question is, can our defense, like I said, that's clicking right now, especially against the run, can they keep that going against the hot coastal offense? And if we can do that, kind of like they did against App State in containing Zach Thomas, I don't see any reason why this team shouldn't win the game. Um, it's all going to be a, a matter of not making boneheaded mistakes. Uh, hopefully Paul Boudreaux can keep the snaps down, but we're not <laughs> giving Coastal good field position because do that against Coastal, you're going to pay the price tremendously. So uh, I like our chances. Uh, actually, I think we're going to win this game. Um, and to be honest with you, I think it's going to be I think the score is going to be uh, a little bit more than what people expect. Um, uh, we are the national underdog. I think most fans outside of our fan base believe that Coastal is the easy favorite. But I like the Cajuns in this one. I think the rushing attack is going to be able to contain their offense a little bit more, kind of like what we did against uh, App State. I think our offense is still clicking. I think Levi continues to be Levi, and he, he uses his feet. And uh, he's able to throw on the run. I think the receivers are a lot more mature and a lot more veteran than they were the first game. I think they're going to step up. And I think the rushing attack is going to be the rushing attack with uh, with protection from the O-line. I like the Cajuns uh, winning this one. I think that it's going to be close, but I think they run away, get an extra touchdown in the game. I think the Cajuns win this one and become outright conference champions for the first time since 1970. Cajuns 34, Claire's 24. Interesting. You know, I, I've got it. I've got it closer than that. Um, I'm looking more, looking more along the lines of what Gabe had to say. I'm thinking more 34, 31. You know, maybe even 28, 24 type of football game. Uh, I think I think it's going to come down to the wire. 
And I think it's going to be one of those games where the Cajuns are going to have to find a way to win late. Yeah. But uh, either way, definitely looking forward to a good one, 2.30 on ESPN this Saturday for the Sunbelt Conference Championship and potentially a spot in a New Year's Six. Cajun Nation, that's going to do it for this episode of Rage and Review. As always, you can follow us on all social media platforms at Rage and Review. You can head to the website, RageandReviewPod.com. Stay tuned for more coming up. Obviously, the playoff rankings come out tonight. The men's basketball team plays tonight. Women play tomorrow. Plenty to talk about down the line. Big football game Saturday. We will talk to you guys towards the end of the week to wrap up this football game. And until then, as always, go Cajuns. Jerry, thanks for joining me, man. My pleasure. Go Cajuns.